Genesis 1, 1 through 10. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I confess I didn't sleep a lot last night. It's not that I'm nervous. It's just like, I guess I was kind of excited. I was up all night thinking, do I remember how to do this? It's been a long time. I leaned, you know, for a few things, I'll talk more in detail about sabbatical in that room after the service. One of the things, I'll tell you, three things I gleaned from this time away. Um, first was that it almost didn't happen. A few weeks before, we realized we were reaching a pinch point with some building decisions um, about things coming here and some uncertainty that we were facing, staffing decisions. And Nancy turned to me a few weeks before and said, you know, do you just want to delay this until the fall or next year? Like, you can just, you could, she could tell my stress level and, and things were going up because I just, I didn't know how much I was going to need to be involved in things. And so I, I prayed about it because I really seriously thought about it. And the thing that I came to was, there's never a good time to leave. There's never a convenient time to die. There's never a good time to take a There's never a time to step away that there's nothing going on. The thing that I had to determine was, am I such an indispensable linchpin that nothing can go on without me? Or is God the indispensable linchpin? And he doesn't need a sabbatical because he's already taking one and has been since the seventh day. And so finally I just said, nope, taking it. Assuming the building is not raised to the ground when we get back, I think we'll be okay. And thank you, Brian. Thank you, elders. Thank you, all of you who stepped in because I, I, I really just had almost no interaction that was, you know, I mean, I have some positive interaction, but no, you know, just almost nothing that I needed to do. And so it was truly restful. Second thing I learned is that the word Sabbath, uh, the Hebrew word Shabbat, has two meanings. One is to rest, which Sabbath rest, sabbatical, same thing, but also it means to cease working. It can have both meanings. Do you know that to cease working and to rest are two different things? You'd think they were the same, but I stopped working long before I started resting. And that if you think of like the train, um, 
If you ever seen, there's a there's a dystopian novel series called Divergent that probably some of you are under 30 may have read, but I I, I did pick up and read one of them, and uh, it's it's interesting. But the way they travel is a really fast train around the city, and you have to learn to jump on the train and jump off the train at high speeds, and that was sort of what I felt like as I began. Is that I I tried to jump off, but I just couldn't get off the train. I'd wake up in the morning and I was still going, and you know how that is. And some people take two and three weeks vacations because the first week you're just your mind is still there and it wasn't until about the second or third week of silence that the inside train began to slow down though I'd stop working it wasn't rest the third thing I gleaned was that sabbatical is not vacation on vacation you get to do what you want but God had called me not only to be refreshed in the Lord and yes I did rest and yes it was not the same schedule but that um for some of you, you'll, you will, this, this would be ter- terribly relaxing, but one of the things I felt God had called me to do was take some really hard looks inside at my marriage, at my parenting, at my leadership style, and to really go to Him and say, Lord, what needs to be changed? Because like everyone else, I can get into a rut and not look because I don't have time because the train's moving too fast. And so, I don't know about you, but that's not what I do on vacation. And I have a a journal, about 26, 27 pages of journaling of what I felt God was speaking to me about these areas and areas that I'd let really sloppy things build up that weren't glorifying to Him. Not that I can deal with all of those in 10 weeks or even a year, but to slow down to allow God to speak. So don't hate me when I go on vacation in a few weeks because it's very different. Then I'll dig my toes into the sand and get myself into a good book and forget about it all. But um, the Holy Spirit in His gentle searching way really did really did teach and show me some things. And um, I'm convinced of the correlation between the health of a church and the health of its leadership. And if it doesn't start with me, it, how can we expect this church to be healthy? And so um, I won't tell you what you should do, but I thank you for giving me the opportunity to step out for some time and to really look at my inner health, not so much as it looked at how I'm running the church and leading the church, but also how I'm doing with Jesus. Because how is it between Jesus and me is a question, and Jesus and you is a question you have to keep asking. Finally, my wife is a whole lot better at sabbaticaling than I am. She immediately jumped into a pottery class, and we now have several hundred pots and dishes and mugs that are uh, in our house, and I know what most of you are getting for Christmas. This is my mug. This is my mug. It's, it's really great. It has to Tim love, and she has a little signature on the bottom. This is going to be a little picture this week and the next few weeks, so part of this is going to be sermonizing, so I'm going to leave it out on the altar of that. But she immediately was able to just, when she t- took taking time to herself to be able to receive personal revelation. She lives, I think, in a little more sabbatical life, so I'm very challenged to do that as well. So I'll leave that here and refer to that in a minute. So the reason we're going to be in Genesis for a while, it's not that I forgot where we were, and so I, like, I'm starting at the beginning because I couldn't remember where we were. <laughs> I, I feel like, and I, I've felt for quite a while with this... Um, you know, as we've, we've been a church for 12 to 13 years, depending on how you count our start. And it's a church of changes and transitions, starting with just, uh, you know, a dozen people and then slowly, slowly growing. And as each change happens, as each season of a church, we've moved three or four times, leadership's grown, ministries have grown. And each time I feel like 
I don't know what I'm doing again. I just got used to being a church of 30 or 50 or 70 or 100. And I, I feel like it's just my gifts. I just, I don't know that I can do this. I don't know. It's all unfamiliar territory each stage of the way. And that's what change is. And if you don't know it yet, you'll figure out life is full of changes and that each change you may not know how to deal with the loss that you weren't expecting. The health changes or the relational changes or the job uncertainties or just the life uncertainties, you don't know. And our model and our pattern for this is Abraham. And in chapter 12, Genesis is divided into two parts. One through 11 is called the primeval history. Primeval just means, doesn't mean like primordial. It means primeval means first age. It's a description of what happens up through chapter 11. And then in 12, we have this little hinge verse because God deals with the whole world and then he deals with one man and then one family and one tribe. And it's the model of someone who's dealing with what I deal with on a regular basis. And particularly now, as we face the uncertainty of a facility change, it's coming. You know, Nancy and I were talking, and we, we just there's a lot of uncertainty with this building and where we might go and what we might do and when we might do it. And, and you know, I don't know about you, but I tend to stress over things I can't control. I, I confess to you, I, I just do. And I, I think to myself, well, Lord, this can be one of two things. This can be an opportunity to live in stress and doubt and fear, or it can be an opportunity to learn to trust you. And for all of you who the building may not be on your radar as it is on mine and the leaderships, you're going to have things on your radar that are changing. And it is an opportunity to trust. Because when you go into lands where you're not quite sure what's coming, Maybe it's a season of life that you've never been in before. You're adding children or you're subtracting children. You're adding people in your life or taking away people or, or whatever it is, you don't know. And if you see this as an opportunity to do maybe what I tend to do, which is a cling as long as possible like a cat on a tree to the known, that's my default. I just, you know, how you try to pull the cat off without getting clawed. That tends to be me because I like the known. Uh, so my wife's much more like the unknown. Yes, that's why I married her. You know, she's just she loves the unknown. I'm like, who? What planet are you from? <laughs> the known is is just it's good. Or do you strike out into uncharted territories in your own strength and think, well, I think I can manage this, and if I can't, God's the last resort. Or maybe. This is, again, me sometimes is I, I'm going to dictate to God the terms of the transition. You ever done that? One time I told God where I would live in the next phase because my one job was shifting. And I said, well, God, uh, Virginia, North Carolina, that's, you know, so anywhere in there that you want to send me is fine. I ended up in Florida. You know, they say God laughs at your plans or whatever. But, but we, when facing this, so partly I'll be preaching to me. We're starting in verse 1 because you can't understand Abraham with, without taking a jump through. But we are, I just will tell all you who are very, very familiar with the Bible, I am sorry that I'm going to do short shrift to the first 11 chapters of Genesis. It is, there is a wealth of questions, not least of which is why doesn't the Bible talk about dinosaurs, but they are valid questions, they are important questions, and the mechanisms of creation, the timing of it, they deserve treatment because there's a lot you could say. Months 
years, Fred, right? Years of talk in Genesis 1 through 11 of Noah and Babel and, you know, there's lots. I'll just tell you now, we're gonna, we're gonna move through it in a couple of weeks because I'm gonna pull some themes out of that that we need to see as we walk through because I want to get to Abraham. Because right now, as a person who's facing walking into some territory and a land that God's calling me to, I know the change is coming, but am I going to walk in trust or am I going to walk in control or fear? And that is the pivotal point for Christians. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you really don't have an option. Is that to walk in trust through the unknown is our calling. We're calling it walk by faith, not by sight. And we all can quote it and few of us can do it without terror until we get practiced at it. Because it's not the human inclination. I don't know about you, I don't walk around with my eyes shut because I bump into things. I walk around with my eyes open and I make the call. But faith is a little different. We walk with our spiritual eyes open, focusing on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So, all that to set up is that I, 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 I do want to spend a minute um, looking at Genesis 1 and because in the story that we look at, sometimes we begin the story of the Bible, which is one story from beginning to end. We can look at it as we're a mess and Jesus came to save us and think that's the gospel. That's part of the gospel is that we're fallen in a mess, but that's not how it began, is it? We didn't begin a mess. Chapter 1 say, and in the beginning, humans were a mess. It's not how it starts. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. He created the heavens and the earth. There's people who've said that's the perfect sentence. It encapsulates so much because we weren't even around yet, and God was fine. You know, we live in a day and age where sometimes it all revolves around us, and you'll hear books and words and songs that God just couldn't exist without us. He just missed us so much. He was fine. He was fine. He is perfect in and of Himself. And He loves Himself. It's a funny thing to say, but God is a loving God and in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in this relational thing. But God is a God of creativity. And God's nature is to create bad things or good things. Good things. And so at the foundational, at this fundamental level, is that we begin this story not with us at the center, the fall of man needing Jesus. We begin within the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that He created this, word, this Latin word ex nihilo, out of nothing. Creation out of nothing. If you've got your Bible, I'll encourage you to turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Which interestingly enough talks about um, the rest and I wrote down the wrong verse, but let me just tell you what it says, because it's somewhere in Hebrews, and someone can find it for me later. And maybe it's Hebrews 1, 4. Well, I'll find it for you later, but it says, God created 
out of nothing by the power of His Word, He created all that is. And that God's power, what this speaks to me uh, is, is that God's power so immense. I mean, I could, we could, you know, I talk about the stars and the planets and the immensity. I could talk about the cells, the DNA, the, the, the smallness. His ability to create out of nothing speaks not only of His artistry and His beauty, but His power. And so as I face the issues that I'm in and are coming of unknown change, the first thing, and for you guys, maybe you're, maybe you're looking at a new school. Maybe you're looking at a change of life. And you think, God, what's it going to be like? Can, can I survive this? Is it going to be good? Is it going to be bad? How am I going to no- negotiate or travel these ways? And at the fundamental level, I want to say that God is a God of creativity and power beyond our imagination. And that if we as humans, the more we tap into that, the more we can trust in a God who is so far beyond our ability to comprehend a reason, that as we look at the individual problems, which are important, and that as you sit down with this individual or, or, or this doctor or, or this negotiation with a landlord, I want to have in mind that undergirding all of it, just like at creation, is in the beginning God was there and creating and powerfully present, so He is with you. Amen? If you can believe that, then you walk in faith rather than that sense of, I, I, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe I'll get taken. Maybe things will... Well, it may not go the way you want it to go, and it may not be smooth sailing, but He is the author of the sea. And so if the sailing is rough, the storm is not outside His control. He created that and the oceans as well as the land. So if you're sailing on rough waters, trust the one who made the oceans as much as you do the one who made the dry land. We flew a lot the last two weeks to some meetings and other things, and I always love when the plane touches down well. Terra firma is my word. I love that. Now, I don't mind flying as much anymore. I've got the, God's dealt with some of my fear of that. But I'm just telling you, when, those, when that plane hits the ground, I think to myself, terra firma, especially when it stops. Because when it's first getting on the ground, I'm thinking those little wheels in that big plane, it probably wasn't built to land so much. But once it slows down, I'm thinking this is what it was built to do. But God is the God of the air and the God of the airplane. And He's the God of life, but He's also the God of death. He is Lord over all. He is God from the heights to the depths, Romans 8 tells us. Nothing is outside of His hand, of His purview. This is called sovereignty. And it is one of the fundamental things we find in Genesis 1. And it is the fundamental thing that Abraham is going to have to trust. Now believe me, when you get news that doesn't seem to be under a sovereign God's hand, that's when the rubber meets the road. But that we have to keep backing up and going back to Genesis 1 and saying, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Not just the earth the universe, and all that's inhabited. Second thing, we learn from the very, very start, if you've got your Bible open to Genesis 1, it's toward the front of the Bible. God said, 
The earth was without form and void. Bohu and tohu are the, the Hebrew words. It's sort of a rhythmic thing. Again, I wish I could give a lot of attention to the literary style in which this is written because it matters a lot as we read this. Sometimes we read it as narrative. This was not intended as a scientific text. Not that it doesn't have scientific truth, but it wasn't written like that. So we've got to be, again, careful reading. The earth was without form and void, bohu and tohu, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovering over the water. And God said... Let there be light, and there was light. What is this telling us? It says that we have a God who brings order out of chaos. Now, I don't know about you, but my life is filled with a lot of chaos at times, inside and outside, I, because I can't control it. Sometimes it's nice and ordered and things run well, and then I'm all happy. But if my joy is stolen away when things don't run well then all of a sudden I think that the chaos is greater than the God who ordered it. But God's nature is to bring order out of chaos inside of you and ultimately in this earth. Now we live, and next week we're going to talk about what sin has done and the chaos it brings and the darkness and and what's going on. And we're going to talk about men, mankind, men and women, and their creation. So we're going to deal with those sort of larger themes before we get to Abraham. But that not only is he king over creation, but he's a chaos destroyer. And so confusion and all the things that tend to, we think, ah, it's, it's, it's overwhelming. Yes, I know it's overwhelming. But this is one of the things God does, is take the overwhelming And when we submit to Him, He begins to bring order to it. I love order. My daughter has taught me the joy of how to fold my clothes. The KonMari system, it's a beautiful thing. This woman, she's a little weird, she's a little new agey, but she folds clothes beautifully. And, you know, I love to open, my daughter showed me her drawers and she could see every piece of clothing, it was all beautiful. And I said, you've got to teach me how to do that. There was something in me that said, now some of y'all are just thinking, I just throw all my clothes in the drawer and pull them out. But there's something in me that I loved the order. Now, it can be a little OCD, I realize, and you can pray for me because it can be a little much. But I think there's something as God writes inside of us, His Spirit, because created in His image doesn't necessarily mean this nose and hair is like God's. It means that What I am, the essence of who I am, has characteristics that is like the essence of who God is. I'm not like Him, I'm in His image. I think part of that is that we are to bring order, Lord knows, in a world out there that is full of chaos and confusion and people, you know, right, wrong, light, dark, it's all mixed up these days. People don't know which end is up. And that part of what, you don't have to fold your clothes like I do, but I want us to be order bringers, to out of the chaos speak truth. How did he do it? By his word. And the word of God brings order out of chaos. And the living word of God, Jesus Christ, changes everything when we allow that 
beautiful word, Jesus, and all that He is and all that He embodies to speak into lives that are so stressed and so... And I... Yeah. And goodness knows, there's nothing, there's nothing like a few hours in social media to just begin to throw your world up. Just read the comments people make on any website in America and you can just blow up. And can I tell you that God wants to bring the goodness of creation through His people. Whatever is good and true and pure and lovely, these are the things of Genesis 1. And He says, let these be the things that your mind dwells on in Philippians chapter 4. Finally, so He creates something out of nothing and the powerful God, He creates order out of chaos and finally, He creates us in His image. And we'll get more. That's what we're going to dig into next week. But this is our Father's world. The old hymn, this is my Father's world. What we see, all the creation around us, is a beautiful representation and speaks to us of who God is. It's full of blessing. It's intended to be full of relationship and order and meaningful work. And look at Genesis 1 prior to the fall of Genesis 2 and see that everything God created was, was good. And that the picture of the Gospel is not simply that we messed up people get straightened out. But it's that God is in the process of redeeming and restoring us to what He always intended us to be, which is stewarding His world and His Spirit well. And that for those who have ears to hear and can understand the Gospel, for all men and women, He wants us to be His, they call it vice-regents, you know, to co-rule. He gave us in our hands such an amazing gift of His Word and His Spirit to steward and shepherd. So the story of redemption and restoration, we're going to play the opportunity to play a big part in that, you and I. And in your schools and in your homes, you and I have the opportunity to take God's Spirit and to take God's Word to speak of His sovereignty and to bring order out of chaos and to see Him. And it's, it's a tremendous challenge and I know, because I know it in my own life, that you know when the when the times come when you're facing striking out into this unknown territory, and when God is going to call Abraham from a land he knows to a land he doesn't know, and he's going to say, "This is the way you're going to walk in it, without full knowledge in the flesh, but trusting me and listening to me as you walk this way." That's the challenge, and. Listen, for those of you who are in situations in life when this, this scenario that I'm talking about sounds pretty rosy because bad things seem to be maybe really large and, and the goodness and the order seems to be hard to find, can I tell you that God's Spirit and His voice has not left you, that His Spirit is close to you. His promise to never leave you and forsake you is real but that you've got to open your ears and you've got to close those eyes that want to control and be able to say, Lord, I open my spiritual eyes and to see Jesus 
in the fire or in the flood or in the water with me. And what we're going to do as we walk, we see what Abraham was facing and why God called one man, made a covenant, and through him, why did God bless Abraham? Remember, God's default position is to bless, not to curse. He blessed his creation. He blessed Adam and Eve. He blessed Abraham. He's going to continue. We're going to see him. Even though they were often unfaithful, his default position is to want to bless. Why? So that you're really rich? So that you're really happy? Because our happiness, of course, is the most important thing, right? Why did God bless Abraham? To be a blessing so that through him, all the earth would be blessed. That's the reason. And it is the same for the people of God today. You are blessed. You are meant to receive His blessing, walk in His ways, and to bless the earth. I'm excited to go through Genesis, and I'm excited to be here. So let's pray. Lord, we we want to see You in Your Word. Because Jesus, I know You're smack in the center of Genesis as much as You are in the Gospel of Mark that from beginning to end we see the God of creation redeeming and restoring what He created perfect at the beginning in loving relationship with the Son and the Spirit. And Lord, help us to see the Gospel presented in Genesis as clearly as it is anywhere in the New Testament. Help us to see the redemptive love the mercy, the blessing of God for those who will submit, for those who will receive it, Lord, to be effective for us as we apply the truths in our life. Lord, for those who are struggling, for those who are ill, for those who are facing dark, Lord, and they don't see amidst the void and the disorder that seems to mark their world. They don't hear, let there be light. And there was light. Lord, I ask You to speak light into those situations, to speak truth into those situations. Lord, nothing darker than when You were facing death, what seemed to be the absolute unraveling of the plan of God, of the Son of God on earth being tortured, mocked and crucified by unrighteous men and women. Lord, we so easily could just see that as the chaos and the darkness overcoming the light. And yet, it was in that moment the greatest triumph known to man was occurring. For on the night you were betrayed, you took bread. And when you'd given thanks, you gave it to your disciples and you said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. And likewise, after supper, you took the cup of wine. When you'd given thanks, you gave it to them, and you said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. For in eating the bread and drinking the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. For Jesus, it was in your death that the greatest act of life and creation 
substituting our unrighteousness for your righteousness. Lord, for us who were destined for hell to now be bound for heaven simply as a matter of faith, are exchanging that and walking by faith. Lord, we ask that you would do your will and your work in our lives. Meet us here, Lord, as we remember you and as we take this wine and this bread, we ask that we would be mindful that you are the powerful God and yet the God who humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. So these are the gifts of God for the people of God. And I invite you to take them in remembrance of his great love for you. Amen.